0: Well, guys, uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to be here this morning or not, even going into this morning. wasn't sure if I was going to be able to be here or not. We kind of played it by ear uh, with the new baby situation and whatnot, and so we did have it planned for me to not have to preach today, uh, so I am super excited that I just get to be uh, part of the congregation today, and I get to sit up front and take notes and receive from the Word of God, so would you join me in welcoming my friend, Matt Dunn, to come bring the word this morning. Come on, Matt. Thank you, sir. How are we doing this morning? Are we doing good? Are we we um, losing an hour of sleep. I know I did. Me and my wife were up staying our floors last night till about 1 o'clock in the morning, so I lost an hour of sleep, and then it's like I got about four hours total, so Yay! feel good um i want to say thank you city church for letting me do this again it's an honor and a privilege i want to um give some props to um jimmy let's give some props up to jimmy last week he did a, a fantastic job he um is in la right now with his wife on a vacation and so he did a great job he'll be back next week and also let's um go ahead and give some honor where some honor is due and that's to our pastor and his wife for um his new baby girl he is a father of two now. Now it's uh, went from a zone to now man man And so we'll see if um, they can handle two. Um, before we get started, um, I'd like to just pray if we can. Can we do that? Can we do that? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank and I praise you, God, for this day. You're awesome. You are just glorious, God. And right now as I um, try to expound upon your word, I pray God you would give me the right words to say for the glory of your name. I pray God you would it would be words it would be food to your people. I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that um this place would be saturated with your presence. I thank you for what you're about to do. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen. Now, how are we liking this series, Death to Selfie? Is it good? Is it good so far? Well, we have one more week and Troy will finish that off next week. But today I'm gonna kinda do a little shortcut. And we're going to go to Abraham. Um, Abraham is Jacob's grandpa. Abraham is a boss. Let's just go ahead and be honest. He is the God of Jacob, yes, but he was the God of Abraham first. Abraham is awesome. We have material from Genesis 12 through 25, not counting all the countless numerous New Testament texts that point to our found the father of our faith, our founder of our faith. And so we have a lot to cover, but I would just like to look at some highlights this morning if we can. Probably the most famous story or test of faith in all of Scripture, and at least in Abraham's life, is found in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Genesis 22, 1 through 14. It says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and sat on his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad, and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the wood, I mean the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took a knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, 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 so he said, Here am I. Do not lay your hand on the ladder. Do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day in the mount. Of the lord it shall be provided now here we have an amazing encounter of a man of God with his faith with his faith on point I mean so on point God told him to go sacrifice his son and he was going to carry that out so much he believed that God would even raise him from the dead or have something in place as a substitute because in verse 5 he told his boys hey me and my son are coming back before he even was going to carry out the sacrifice after God told him, go kill your son. So his faith was just off the hook. My students on fleek. It was on fleek. I'm not funny. It's okay. But I wonder if Abraham had that kind of unwavering faith his whole life, or was there a journey he had to travel to um, attain that much faith? I'm here this morning to pose the question that we have a lot more in common with the father of our faith than we think. In fact, I think he was just like us. Can I show you this morning? Let's look at where we normally first see Father Abraham. It's in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 5. It says, The Lord has said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Now, here we have a point where every believer has started, a call of God on their life. Now, do we accept everything and have faith immediately? Do we with reckless abandon just forsake all for Christ, or is there some doubt? There's some growing pains that we go through as believers, some cutting away that God has to do in our life. There's a, um, a theological word for this. It's called sanctification. And to put it simply, it's the things that God puts us through to make us more like his son. As simple as that. So I believe me and you are going to go on a journey today to see our spiritual father and all the what he had to go through to get to Genesis 22. So number one. God calls. If you're taking notes today, have a three-point message. Number one, God calls. God calls us out of where we are at and what we are in and out of our past and speaks to our purpose. Acts 7, verse 2 through 4, um, Stephen in the New Testament was about to be stoned, the first Christian martyr. And he said this before they stoned him to death. He said, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia. Before he lived in Haran, leave your country and your people. God said, go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran after the death of his father. God sent him to this land where you are now living. Now, is that what Abram did? Did he leave his father, his country, and his kindred, his household? Or did his father and his nephew go along with him after God called him out of all that? You see... Better yet, the they get sidetracked on the way to Canaan in a place that sounds just like his dead brother, and Terah, his father, a place that's like his dead son. Pastor Troy hit on that about three weeks ago. Abram was told to leave your country, your people, and your father's house, but he only did some of it. He didn't do all of it. Partial obedience to God will only hurt you and your family in the long run. Let me let me play with you real quick. I'm, I'm a Bible nerd and a Bible geek, so I think that names mean things and, and everything in Scripture is there for a reason. So the definition, I was looking this up, of Terah, which was Abram's father, means delay. Terah means delay. Haran or Haran means parched or barren. The definition of Terah means delay. The definition of Haran means parched or barren. So technically, when we partially obey the call of God on our lives, we will always experience delay and barrenness. When we partially obey the call of God on our lives, we will always experience delay and barrenness. That's not the only thing that he held on to because verse 4 in chapter 12 says that he brought Lot with him. He brought his nephew along. Now, you're dead. your dad is gone. Your dad has passed away. Lot has grown, but he takes them anyway. And Lot will be only a hindrance to him the whole time. Lot has his issues. and we'll, we'll go over that just in a moment. So why is it so hard for us to let go of our past? Why is it so hard to let go of stuff that's comfortable? God calls us from here to there, but sometimes, man, we still hold on to what we feel that we need. Is it, is it the fear of the unknown? Is it the fear of failing? Is it the fear of doing it all by ourselves, fear that God's going to put us out there and he's just going to leave us? And then what are we to do now? I think that um, the testing of Abraham and Isaac wasn't the first test. I believe that God was testing Abram from Genesis 12 on. I don't really think that Abram was passing all those tests with flying colors. And I'm here to tell you I don't as well. I'm not going to lie. Number one, God calls. Number two, we follow kind of. We follow kind of. Genesis 13, one through 8 says this. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. He was in Egypt because there was a famine in the promised land. The reason why he was in Egypt that's why I just wrote it. I don't know why I said it again. Sometimes there are even seasons of drought and famine in the land of promise. Just because God calls you to a place doesn't mean that it's going to be peachy all the time. Because he calls you into a new season doesn't mean it's going to be great 24-7. And so they had to flee to Egypt to find food. So they're coming back up. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold from the Negev, from where he went from place to place until he came to Bethel. We learn about Bethel in the first week of death to Selfie, To the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar to God. See, sometimes we have to go back to where God spoke to us first to remember what he called us out of, to remember what he called us to. Before they went to Egypt, he was actually putting his tent in the promised land. And he had to leave to go to Egypt to survive. But then God brought him right back to where he all started. Sometimes we have to go back. Sometimes we have to go back. And next week, Pastor Troy will talk about sometime. we got to go back to Bethel. So there it is. I got you. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had his flocks and his herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lots. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land. So Abram said to Lot, look, let's not have any of this quarreling between you and me or between the herders and mine for we're close relatives. So, Here's what's going on. Lot, his nephew that he brought along, which he shouldn't have brought along anyway, is becoming wealthy. So is Abram. They're becoming wealthy. So now Abram's workers and Lot's workers and everybody that works with them are now fighting against each other. Now I believe that sometimes we're the ones that hinder the progress of God's promises in our lives. I do. Um, It says that he pitched a tent in um Bethel, between Bethel and Ai, and now his nephew is with him, and now there's just there's just some, some mess going on that shouldn't have to it shouldn't have been there in the first place. You see, God will let you get God will get I don't know what I said. God will let you get things. He will bless you, but if you hold on to the blessing over the blesser, you will not receive what he has in store for you. So what happened is he held on to something from his past and it just came back to just bite him in the butt, is what, what happened. It wasn't until Lot left, they just separated here in a little bit, and God spoke to him again in verse 14. From Genesis 12 to now 13, God hasn't spoken until after Lot left. Slowly but surely, God's cutting away the thing that will hold Abram back. He does the same to you and me. The thing about cutting away is that it hurts. And I know he didn't want to leave his daddy or Lot, but God can speak the loudest when you're away from distractions. And so that's what happened finally he was away from his father he was away from lot and now it's just him and then that's when god speaks again let's fast forward real quick we have a lot to cover um abraham's going to light some fools up in chapter 14 he's going to save a lot because lot gets kidnapped so there's a lot again he, he goes rescues him and there's a guy named melchizedek that comes in the picture and let's go to chapter 15 for a moment chapter 15 once again God confirms His promise that He did in verse. I mean, chapter 12. We see in verses 1 through 6 in chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a a son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. He said, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. I wonder if you've ever been frustrated with God's timing. Have you ever paid attention to the one thing that God hasn't given you over all the things that he has blessed you with? We are guilty of that every day. God, you told me this. And he's like, look at everything else. And and that was the thing that Abram was dealing with at the moment. The thing I want to point out to in chapter 15 is this. said it took, he, actually literally the Bible says that he took him outside of his tent. Abram was in the tent talking to God and telling God everything that he doesn't have. See, the thing is, when we stay in our tent, all you see is the walls that are surrounding you. You don't see what God is doing on the outside of the tent. See, Abram's tent symbolizes our perspective, it symbolizes all the things that we've believed God for, all the things that we've thought God promises, all the things that God has promised us, all the things that we're, we're just, we're by faith, we're believing, but when we stay in our tent, we forget that God is bigger than us. We forget that he's bigger than our walls, bigger than the surroundings that are covering us. See, the Bible says we should live by faith, not by sight. If we actually live by sight, we're only paying attention to what happening, what's happening around us, so we will never live up to our fullest potential. And so, we see walls, God sees stars. We see walls. God sees stars. Sometimes God has to pull us outside and look at the stars because that's what he sees for our lives. See, we see us here. He sees us here. He sees us perfected. He sees us what he has put in us and it coming to pass. We only see what's going on around us. And so sometimes God has to pull us out of our tent and tell us to look at the stars. You see, Abraham was looking this far. The four walls that were surrounding him, God wanted him to look at something that Abram couldn't even imagine. If only you can stop focusing on what is happening to you, and you can see what God is doing through you, and you will be able to walk by faith and not by sight. Some of you in here have been given a promise. You've been given a dream. It's been years since that has been spoken to you, and you still don't see how that's ever going to be fulfilled. You've been God's promised you that your wayward child will come back to him. God's promised you a better job. He's promised you a better house. There's something, your marriage, that has fallen apart. He's promised to re- reconcile that. And it doesn't seem like it's ever going to happen. And I'm here to tell you to get out of your tent and look at the stars. Because until we focus on what God sees in us, we will never experience what God has for us. Until we focus on what God sees in us, we will never experience what God has for us. Well, it's been 10 years since our first meeting with Abraham in chapter 12, since Haran, no son. And now in chapter 16, we see an innocent servant girl named Hagar get thrown into the mix. 16 genesis chapter 16 verse 4 through 6 says this he slept with hagar and she conceived hagar was sarah's servant from egypt the time that they were in egypt when she knew she was pregnant she began to despise her mistress then sarah said to abram you are responsible for the wrong i am suffering i put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant she despises me be the lord judge between me and you and abram said hey Your slave is in your hands. Otherwise, that's your problem, girl. That ain't my problem. My stuff's working. You ain't working. Do with her whatever you think best. It says, then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. I wonder if we've ever jumped the gun on a promise that God's made and then gotten mad at someone who is innocent because we're the ones that's not producing. I'm going to repeat that again. I wonder if we've ever jumped the gun on a promise that God has made and then get mad at someone else who who is innocent because we are the one that isn't producing. I'm here to say maybe your barrenness is your blessing. You just can't see it yet. Maybe there are some things God is trying trying to get you to see and to work on before he gives you what you're asking for. Maybe the reason you haven't had your prayers answered isn't because God didn't hear you, but maybe you're not ready to receive that answer. Everybody say sanctification. You learn a new theological word today if you didn't know. Maybe God has to put some things in order to for you to appreciate what you're asking for. I'm gonna be honest with you. I was um I worked third shift at Smith and Nephew for oh, God knows forever it seemed like. about five and a half years. And I was praying so hard for a day job. Third shift sucks. I don't know if anybody ever worked third shift before. It's horrible. I mean, you're tired 24-7. You don't eat right. Your marriage is kind of weird because you're just seeing each other weird times. It's just ridiculous. I kept praying and praying and praying and speaking blessings and, and promises and, yay, God, come on. And I re- wasn't getting anything. I wasn't getting a job. I was staying third shift. So I got a little complacent with my job. I got a little, uh say, ungrateful that I had a job. Made good money. All of a sudden, one day, that job was just yanked out from underneath me, and I was jobless. Never thought I'd be jobless, and so, wow, I'm looking at temp agencies, looking at jobs, looking at applications. What's going on? This is weird. I'm 25 years old. I have a mortgage. I've got bills. I mean, what's going on? On top of that, I lost my insurance. Went to the hospital. All this good stuff. Yay! And I was, like, this is ridiculous, man. And so, I got a job. And it was day shift, not what I wanted, not the money that I was needing at the time. I survived. We're fine. I got, I got fed. I'm fine. But what God was showing me is that you were praying for a first shift job, but you weren't ready to receive it because you wouldn't have thanked me for it because I was expecting something. I was expecting to get something because I'm a child of God by darn. I pay my tithes. I do this. I do that. And God said, yeah, I don't owe you anything. And so he had to humble me, which I'm going to be honest with you, that's never happened. I'm going humble myself before God every time now. I do not like God humbling me. He humbled me. Then I was thankful for the day job afterwards. And sometimes God has to do that to us. Painful. You can ask my wife. We went through some mess, did we not? Couldn't stay in her for a little bit. I know she couldn't stay in me. We were like, oh, Lord. But it was was bad. It really was. It was bad. But I wasn't ready at the time when I was asking for a first shift job. I wasn't going to give him all the praise and the thanks and honor anyway. I was just going to expect it. And so God had to put me through some things in order for me to be grateful. Now I'm in a job that's Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. Never had that before. And it's great. And so sometimes God has to put things in our life for us to appreciate what we're asking for. And so I'm getting close to the end. Bear with me. Let's fast forward 13 more years and find ourselves in Genesis chapter 17. 13 years from Genesis 16 to 17, at least. Number one, God calls. Number two, we follow kind of. Number three, God keeps His promises. Genesis 17, 1 through 5 says this. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. And he goes on to bless him and the whole covenant of circumcision, everything in, in that chapter is pretty awesome. Now, God called Abram out of his comfort zone at least 24 years prior to this, at least. He had to leave his father's house. He had to run to find food to survive. He had to cut ties with his family, Lot. He had to fight to save them. It was in chapter 14 we talked about. He believed God but got restless, and in his flesh he bore Ishmael, which was Hagar's son. Lived with that decision for 13 years, and still God is cutting away. God spoke in chapter 12. He spoke in chapter 13. He years later in 15, and now 13 years later in verses, I mean, chapter 17. Sometimes I believe God's going to be quiet to see if you believed him when he first spoke the promise. God is testing Abram's faith the whole time. Now, let me tell you what Abram means. Abram means father of many. Abram, father of many. Now, that must suck for a 99-year-old childless father. Well, he was 87 ish. had Ishmael in 99 with one kid. But Abraham means father of many nations. Abram means father of many. He's got one kid, 99. Abraham means father of many nations. You see, God isn't worried about and so concerned about where you are now. He's worried. He's not so much concerned. He's not worried at all. That I means phrase that. But God is looking past you. He's not looking just at you. He's looking at what he's going to birth through you. He's not looking at just where you are now. He's wanting to see your legacy. And so El Shaddai, which is the name that that, um, God named himself in the chapter, El Shaddai means God Almighty. It's not just Jehovah, Yahweh. El Shaddai means God Almighty. This name shows power, and it shows strength. It's a name that means I can do whatever Whenever it's a name that says, but well, there's no possible way I can, but all I want is you as all God wants is all of us. And you're like, okay, what's that supposed to mean? Well, yeah, let me explain. Now the word blameless in this chapter doesn't mean sinless. Let me just let you know when we hear the word blameless in church or the Bible, it doesn't mean sinless. It means whole. W H O L E whole. It means everything. God is looking for whole people, everything people, people who will go through hell and high water, but everything is yours. People that no matter what the, the um, report says, no matter what happened at your job, no matter what's happening in your family, you have my whole. You have my everything. And that's what he's looking for. He's not looking for sinless people. He's looking for whole people. After God gives us his all, he expects the same. In return, he expects our whole Now, it says Abram fell face down. And when you fall face down, let me just be quite frank. You have no uh, position to lord over anything when you're face down. When you're face down, you're in full submission of the person you just fell face down in front of. For 24 years, he had faith. But I've also done some stupid stuff. I haven't had as much faith as I should have in some areas but now, God, you have all of me. See, I will argue the fact that Abraham didn't have a rock-solid faith until after this moment. I will argue the fact that Genesis 22 happened because Genesis 17 happened. God still blessed Abraham, but but Abram couldn't receive what God had in store for him until now. See, until we give everything over to God, God can't do everything he wants to do through us. And this is what happens to all of those who are blameless, who give their whole to God. God gives them a different name. You see, he didn't change his name until he fell on his face. He was Abram. He was blessed. The boy was bawling. He was rich. But God did not change his name until he fell on his face. He has the same for me and you. When we fully surrender to God, he changes our name and calls us righteous. He calls us forgiven. He calls us living epistles. He calls us living stones. He called us my son, my daughter. When we give him everything, he gives us his all. Amen? Can I show you something else before we go to this morning? Can I show you one more thing? Now, we know that he had a son named Isaac who had a son named Jacob, who we've talked about during this series, who became the 12 tribes of Israel, who bore Jesus centuries later. But I want to bring your attention to Romans chapter 4 for just a moment, which is a chapter about Abraham and his faith. Abraham and his faith. And verses 18 and 19 are pretty awesome. Let's take a look at them. Who contrary to hope, and hope believes, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. He was 99 in Genesis chapter 17. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. Sarah's womb was dead. Abraham was as good as dead. Abram gave God everything. God changed his name to mean something greater than it already was. He gave him a name that symbolized centuries and millennia of a heritage, and we're still seeing that today. And with that, opened up Sarah's womb and emphatically said, I can breathe new life into dead places. We serve a God that can bring new life into dead places. What dream, what vision, what calling, what hope is dead in your life right now? What promise are you holding on to, but it seems like a lifetime since you've heard God's voice? What dream is too hard to handle? What dream is dead and you just don't ever see it coming to pass? We serve a resurrecting God who can breathe new life into dead wombs. Wombs represent your your calling, your dream, your vision, the thing that's in here that you know that God put in you, but man, you don't see how that's ever going to happen. The thing that maybe God told you 24 years ago and you're still wondering, are you still there? The thing that happened 20 years ago and and God promised you and, and someone spoke over you or prophesied over you or whatever happened. And man, it's been so long that you wonder, am I still right? I mean, am I still saved? Am I still... Am I still in God's will? Am I still going through this path that's called the Christian life? What's going on? And I'm here to tell you that God can breathe new life into dead wombs. You see, he gave himself all to God. God changed his name. He had to pull him out of the tent to show. Um, God had to pull Abram out of, out of the tent to show him from his perspective. See, God doesn't see what we see. He sees our future. He sees what he will birth through us centuries later. He doesn't pay attention to what we're going through right now. He sees us finished. And you see, sometimes we get a call from God, and we don't completely surrender everything at first. And sometimes there's some cutting away, and there's still cutting away. I'm being cut away. You're being cut away. some cutting away that is done in our life. God still blesses. God still provides. God still just loves us no matter what. But it's never too late. It's never too late for the God to do the impossible to breathe new life into dead places. It's never too late. Let me say that you are never too old for God to birth something new in your life. There is never an expiration date on your purpose. God wants to birth the legacy of faith from you. So we come full circle. To our opening passage as we close, I want to bring this message to its rightful conclusion. We can leave encouraged and know that God can bring new life into dead places because He's a resurrecting God. He's a God that doesn't leave us all by ourselves and He always, always keeps His promises no matter what we do. But there's still one more thing I want to show you. In Genesis 22, in our main passage at the beginning, I want to start in verse 6 again. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. he said, Here I am. Then he said, Look. The fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, so he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the ladder, do anything to him? For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horn. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. In Hebrew is called Jehovah Jireh as it is said to this day in the mount of the lord it shall be provided i've asked some of the elders of the church and some leaders of the church to come down and um, be prayer partners this morning because as we close i think we should close this the right way you see abraham had a son and put some wood on his back and led him up a hill and laid the wood down and laid his son on it and he was about to kill his son and God stopped it and there was a ram that took his place I'm here to tell you this morning that about 2,000 years ago there was a father who laid the wood on his son who led him up a hill laid the wood down placed his son on that wood and did not withhold his hand. The ram in the story is a type and a shadow of Jesus Christ. He was a substitute for Isaac and he is a substitute for you and me. I don't believe that Jesus died a death just for our salvation and just for our ticket to heaven. I believe he died so he can resurrect new life into our dead wombs. I believe that when he died. He bought back the power that when God spoke a promise in your life, he can still raise it back up again. And so the band here is going to play another song. We're going to just take a little bit and worship God, but I don't think that the Bible lies when he says today is a day.